But there you have it. So would you find fanning us? I'm gonna fan you. Yes, that's that's my job. Yes, I'm gonna fan you. Okay. My turn. Um, that's right. Um, okay, so we gotta do a little calendar thing here, okay? Um, we have we have first a mazel tov. Everybody say mazel tov. Okay, that's good. So we got a we got a little mazel tov because it turns out that Mr. and Mrs. Spurlock, that would be Mr. and Mrs. Joshua Spurlock, have actually purchased a home. Hooray! Everybody say mazel tov. Let's get it. All right, now that. Everyone is I've been I've been told don't joke. But I am allowed to. Well, okay. <laughs> jokes. Jokes are no, no, no. We're not joking. We're, nobody's, is everybody joking? Yeah. Joking. joking is fine. Joking is fine unless I do it, and then I get in trouble. All right. So, couple couple things. We are, we are approaching the High Holy Days. Who knows what the High Holy Days are? Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, I cut that out of order, and Sukkot at the end. Right, okay. So the High Holy Days are actually Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, okay? And, uh, and then Sukkot, Tabernacles, and it's a lovely, wonderful thing. I am of the ilk that going into the woods as a community... And building some kind of joint sukkah is not really keeping the commandment of you in a city-type environment, building a sukkah in your backyard, and you eating in it, and you inviting your friends into it as a testimony to your neighbors. You may not agree with me. I don't care. I'm going to build a sukkah. I hope you are too. But before we get to Sukkot, we've got... uh, couple things. We meet the second and the fourth Shabbat of each month. This is the second Shabbat. Somebody help me? Yeah. Okay. The fourth Shabbat is Ki Tavo, and that will be the very last portion that we will do together as a community before the High Holy Days begin. How many of you are actually remembering to blow the shofar Every day, as a reminder to your neighbors. Except okay. Except Shabbat. Except Shabbat. So I'm just doing it to be a Really? Blow it this morning. Noobs. Noobs. What can you do? And by someone that did not mean me. Of course not. Of course not. And anytime your wife wants to blow the shofar since she's pregnant, she can do that. Maybe he wants to blow the shofar. That's right. So the Yom uh, Teruah, the day of blowing is uh, also known as Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. There's uh, at least five different heads of the year, and this is the one uh, that's used in order to count the years and the reign of kings. Okay? So in the fifth year of King Hezekiah and so on, you read that, that's counting from Rosh Hashanah and that. So the day of blowing, it is traditional to use it as a day of repentance and tshuva, and we would come together pray, bless God for giving us yet another year, and then we have a Tashlik service, which comes from the the prophet reading that says that God will toss or cast our sins into the depths of the sea, and he will remember them no more. You actually brought your own fan? That's got to be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, Mac is back. How about that? So, um, so we, we have traditionally had our Tashlik service, I think the past 
four or five years? Actually, the first time I met Mrs. Upham, because Mr. Upham was like missing in action. We didn't know where he was. But Mrs. Upham showed up when we used to meet at the last place we met. Squirrel, Squirrel Park. Yeah, Squirrel Park. Yeah, so there was always at least, you know, your family, my family, and then somebody playing on the swings. And it was like they wanted to leave when we started blowing the shofars. We never pulled out handguns, automatic weapons, or anything, but they didn't want to be there. So, anyways. Um, Hmm? And the Spurlocks, yes. After the first year, the Spurlocks were there from then on. And then we moved to the McDowell Nature Preserve, which, as the Lord would have it, is actually in walking distance to the Upham Home. So it was all a ploy to get us to move it over there, so evidently. Walk that's right, that's right. So we went to the uh, Colonel Bates yes. Park for a couple of years. Colonel Beatty, that's, well, that's actually where we met Mrs. Upham. She showed up. Right? Um, wasn't there a Jewish group there that year, and they didn't know how to blow the shofar? Remember? And you know, we had to kind of help them out there. Um, our, I think it was our first year at McDowell Nature Preserve. It was either the first or the second year where we blew the shofar, and as soon as we finished that, Jews, honestly, goodness, Jews came up from the water, came up, pushed the bushes apart, and said, so "We heard the shofar. What's you know? What's up?" And all the evangelists, uh, all the uh, evangelicals in our group grabbed them up and, and started sharing Messiah with them. Uh, September 5th is Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah and we will uh, thanks to Morgan's help I have 5th here but it's obviously on Rosh Hashanah so you know if you want to argue that right now we'll wait Yeah. Um, but Rosh Hashanah is a Shabbat so if you've not already asked for your uh, your day off that's okay. Um, now would be a good time to ask. It is a Shabbat, so really, unless you're playing basketball or something like that, you know, you really should be able to make it there. Good time to also order a Maksor for Shabbat or Yom Kippur. How, many, how, how many know what a Maksor is? Okay, wrong question. How many don't know what a Maksor is and need me to explain? Okay. Um, this is a Sidur, and it is a complete Sidur, so it works on Shabbat, it works on weekdays, and it works on festivals. But you know how those wily Jews are. You flip over here and it says, if it's this day, turn to page 697. And you flip over to 697, it says, okay, we'll only reach up to this point, and if it's this day, don't keep going. If it isn't this day, then you skip over to, and you're flipping back and forth. And you can do the whole service right in here, no problem. But it is easier for you to focus on the prayers and the reason for the prayers if you've got a machzor. A machzor is a sitter designed for only one day. It also has the chazan repetition of the Shemone Ezra standing prayer, which you do not have because and, otherwise your sitter would be like this. It includes the poetry. Which, which is what we're getting together for. The poetry I mean, the, and all I mean, of that. We really don't want to sell the machzors here yet. Not say, well, you can do the whole thing yeah, there's some extra. Oh, really is, is a better way to it's go. Like, it's like, what's up with that? <laughs> okay, so really, if you don't have if you don't have a moxor, you're a noob. We'll make fun of you. No, no. I mean, it is easier to have the moxor because, as as my children have said, the cousin's repetition is way too long for one little throat to do. So I like to pass that along to some of the other folks that are there. But if you don't have a Maxor, it's not even in your sitter. Because it's not intended for you to do. Daisy Kuala. 
And yet, as Rick said, and as Greg has shown us year after year with the Sukkot stuff, it's so unbelievably messianic, you want to get one. Maksor, there's one available for Rosh Hashanah. There's one available for Yom, Tur- uh, Yom Kippur. And there's one available for Sukkot. You can buy those in a slipcase set and set get a discount. Five. Set of five. You're all ready to go. It'll come with Pesach and Shavuot as well. But well, not today. Not today. <laughs> in, yeah. Um, but I'm sure our scroll will send out some sort of note after. They always do, ends. but you're you're waiting too long if you don't jump on that first thing tomorrow. So Mark has a special one, right? Uh, exactly right. They always have a special one. Well, it's a good time to have a special. All right, so that's uh, that's coming up. And uh, for those of you who haven't been to the uh, Tosh League service, I mean, it's just a blast. And you come right around lunchtime. You come around lunchtime. It's it's a shofar blast. That's right. Good. Okay, so you show up about lunchtime. We're going to eat together. Oneg, big thing, tables and all that. We got that. And then uh, we'll have a uh, permit to get the wine. So you can bring some wine and all that. And then, um, and then we'll go through Minka prayers in the Tashik service. And the Tashik service, we actually re- will be bringing a bag of rocks from Lowe's so that you can grab as many rocks as you need, tie us into each one, and you go down to the water's edge and make your peace with God and start throwing rocks into the water and starting your year fresh. Now, this is making the assumption that you've used this month of Elul, this is the fourth Elul, and you're using this month to get with other people and make peace among men so that you can make peace on Yom Teruah in the Tashlik service. Traditionally, you come back from the water's edge and you have your pockets pulled out and everybody knows that you've made your peace with God and you have truly repented and forsaken your sin and believe in your heart that God will remember it no more. Now, there have been a couple of cases where people are on their way back from the water, pockets are out, and they realize they just blew it again, or there's something they forgot. It's okay to grab a few more rocks and head back to the water. That's okay. Push your pockets back in until you're done. So we'll leave you alone until your pockets are out. Because it's a solemn time. It gets real quiet. Okay? So give us give us a clue. If you if you wear pants that don't have pockets to pull out. You just demonstrate you're a noob again, you know. <laughs> yes. While we're discussing preparation for the holy days, um, you should also, especially men, you should also be thinking about ordering your lulav and your etrog so that you can keep the mitzvah to weave the four species. So uh, exactly if you right. Don't know where to get those? Talk to somebody. One family. One family. That's exactly right. You don't need one per child, one per man. You just need one per family. So, folks, we're real good at grabbing onto Pesach. We're real good at grabbing onto Passover. Um, those spring feasts, no question. Speak of our Messiah in literal terms. No question about it. And it's a testimony to anyone you speak with. But the fall feasts talk about his coming and the judgment that is coming upon this world. The I don't want to call it the rapture, but the gathering up of his people. Not to go to heaven, as we see even in this portion, but actually to go to Jerusalem, where we will be with our king. Yes, my lady. Uh, oh, I know Morgan will send out the, um, 
Bellator thing with all the information in it. But sometimes some of us like me don't read them. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> except. And this one, I just want to explain, you know, it's not just Oneg like we have here because it's a picnic ground. It's more like everybody brings their family's meal. If you have a little extra to share with someone, that might be nice because sometimes there's some single people. But it's really important to make sure you bring some water <laughs> because it's not like, um, you know, unlimited water there and it gets really hot and everything's dancing and whatever. And, um, and we are going to have the alcohol license Yes, thank you, sweet. So um, here it is. I can, I can, I can truly say that the meals that my bride has brought have been phenomenal. But I just love walking around and grabbing some of your food. So please try to bring it up for me. You know that's really important. So that's the Tosh League service, and that will be on Rosh Hashanah itself. Okay. And there are traditional foods for Rosh Hashanah. That's exactly that's, right. You know, everybody probably knows. Right. So you've got the you know. Oh, yeah, your, your challah, your challah is uh, braided, and instead of salt, it has sugar on it. Oh man, apples and honey for a sweet year. There's all kinds of traditions, and we'll talk about all of those on that day. Now, Rosh Hashanah kicks off the days of awe. The days of awe are the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Hakippurim. Day of Atonement. It is plural. That's a different sermon. Yom Kippur. I, I just can't figure it out. I've asked Rick about it. I, I think it's a mistake in God's calendar that it could ever fall on Shabbat, but this is the second year in a row where it does. And uh, this is a hard fast. This is the only one where you will afflict your soul. No water. You're fasting 25 hours. Unpleasant it's not fun. And I have realized through the years, spending time with some of these godly men here, that fasting like that is absolutely horrible unless you've got something to occupy yourself with. Or, I beg your pardon, Mr. Martin, with which to occupy yourself. I hate to dangle a part of the front of the like that, don't you? <laughs> and what we occupy ourselves with is the prayers. So I asked this morning if uh, you would like to host the prayers on Yom Kippur. We have three that can be done. And, uh, of course, we'd break the fast after the last one. We did that here last year. Uh, we had morning prayers. And then I think we, either this, this past year or the year before, um, was it here? We had afternoon prayers. I was going to say afternoon prayers at the Spurlocks. Afternoon prayers at the Spurlocks. And we had... Uh, Ma'ariv prayers here, yeah. and we broke fast afterwards. Um, and I think Shakari prayers are the coolest deal. Now, um, if you would like to host prayers, remember, it's a, it's a fast day, so there's no need to worry about, do I have enough food, where are we going to put all the plates? It's not like dress. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's nothing. So it turns out that uh, you slower players in the group have already been beat out by Joshua Spurlock, who wants to invite the entire community, bring 20 of your favorite friends, uh, to the Yom Kippur Shakari prayers in their new home this year. So praise God for that. Thank you, Joshua. And we offered first, actually. We have Joshua. Remember, I emailed you yesterday. You did do that. Oh! 
did you want to do Minka? <laughs> Either Fine. one. Marines, Minka, and all. Okay. So we can swap out. As long as we're doing the morning prayers, either way, I don't care. Okay. We can negotiate later. Okay, so... So, scandalous. It looks, it looks like Chakarit and Minka are taken, and we'll let you know which place we're, we're going. Um, so that leaves Ma'ariv, and whoever wants to do Ma'ariv, we would then be doing uh, Breaking the Fast. Um, I'd actually like to grab that for myself, but I am more than willing. Me and Brock just took it. We have had a party yet. <laughs> at the end of you know, at the end of the fast. Oh, not the okay. Okay. So if you're interested in doing that, because it's a big commitment, requires a lot of space. We've got a lot. I'm just letting you know. We may talk to you about that. See me off. Yeah. See me offline, and we'll, we'll do a sidebar. Daddy, the Friday night will be here. Yes, um, the night before Erev Yom Kippur, Friday night will be here for sure. Uh, that is the Kol Nidre All Vows service, and uh, we will we will have that here. Okay, so that takes care of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, Tashlik, uh, Kol Nidre, Erev Shabbat, and then Yom Kippur, um, and then five days later we have uh, Sukkot, Yom Tov. That would be the first day of Sukkot. Eight days long, first day and the eighth day are Shabbatot. And uh, so if you're interested in doing something there um, or inviting us all over to sit in your sukkah a little bit or if you've got a tiny sukkah the size of this table, we'll all just kind of walk through your sukkah, thank you for it, and stand outside and applaud. Yes, sir. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah, since it will be in our in close proximity. Um, after the the specific festivities at the park. The park, yes. Whoever wants to come back to our house to hang out. Enjoy the air conditioning. Air conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning was big, yeah. Whatever. Get water. <laughs> we will, uh, our house will be open for that. So. Outstanding. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to know I was up in Canada with Peter and those people are starving for this. Now, they're thinking about coming down, you know, for the bat mitzvah at the end of Sukkot, uh, for the bar mitzvah at the end of November, for Hanukkah, which has never really been a big player here, but, you know, maybe we can do something. So, anyway, thank you. That's great. I do want to honor the Gordon family, who every year seem to have water that I can drink at that Tashlik service. I mean, we just always run out of water. And, you know, he's come with like 400 pounds of water. It's amazing. Pounds, yeah. Each gallon weighs eight pounds. Figure out, do the math. Well, it's Shabbat. Don't do the math today. Okay. And then finally, it's Simchat uh, Torah, the last day of, uh, well, it's the day after the last day. And we're going to send an email out on all this stuff, and then Morgan will have the meetup all ready to go. The Simchat Torah, where we rejoice in the Torah. It's the rejoicing of, not in, the Torah. And traditionally, we get together and we read the entire Torah from Genesis 1 until Deuteronomy chapter 34 out loud. If you've not experienced that here, you don't know what you're missing. It's awesome. 
Uh, it begins with the youngest uh, reading person, reading person, uh, actually doing the reading. That's right. So uh, Mariah and Sophia, Mariah and Sophia will be stepping up in years to come. But uh, Micah has uh, traditionally been the uh, go-to fella for the past couple of years, and I believe last year he actually read the first verse of Genesis in Hebrew and had everyone, everyone in the room thinking, is he going to do the whole chapter? This is unbelievable. I, man. Right, well, there you go. Yeah, go team. First, yeah. There it is. Yeah. It is still Micah. Yes. Yes, Micah, would you be kind enough to read for us again this year? Outstanding. Thank you. Micah, this may be your last year. Yeah. There's some young people catching up to you now, buddy. Yeah, now, if you want to chant, if you want to chant that whole first portion thing, that'll work too. Okay, so instead of just reading, I mean, you could sing it too. But no pressure. You do what you can. Okay, so we'll have Simchat Torah, and, uh, and that about does it. Is there anything that I left out? Anything that we should. Uh, yes, sir? Two days after Simchat Torah, that next Shabbat is Bach Mitzvah for Andrea. Everybody here is invited. I think everybody has either been mailed an invite, or if we didn't have your address, we've tried to hand deliver a couple of those. But uh, we'd love to have everybody. That's going to be at the Hilton. We're in 77. So uh, on 77, right there. Tybal. Hilton and Tybal, uh, yeah. Tybal and 77. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry about bringing anything, any food or anything for Ome. They won't let you in there when you're going to So we will. We tried. We'll handle all that, but uh, we'd love certainly for you guys to come. It will it will be uh, morning prayers, um, owning, and portion discussion, just like any other Bella Torah service, except of course that uh, my daughter will be called to the Torah, and there'll be so the service will be a little different. And then we're going to reconvene in the evening, same place for a reception that should be a lot of fun. So again, we'd love so we can. So we'll show up there for tourist service, normal time. Yes. Then we'll leave, take a little nap. You can leave if you, if you can then, go take a nap. come back. You can hang out. I mean, okay. I, you know, whatever you okay, want. so those of us who are buying gifts for Andrea, would be appropriate for us to bring Shabbat morning? Or should we bring them that evening? Now what's an appropriate gift? <laughs> we'll get back on that one, okay? So for those of you who want to celebrate with Andrea that she would be a daughter of the commandment, <laughs> then perhaps you'd like to uh, wish her well in your own way. Praise God. And we're grateful for the opportunity. Um, it, it is possible that the entire Canadian Fellowship may come down, the Torah Keepers of Teeswater, uh, since they got the invite on the Skype thing Tuesday night. You know, it's all a buzz in Teeswater. Whoa, we get to go down to the lower 48, eh? <laughs> so... Uh, so that's the deal. Live pleasure for me to do that. Like, All right. Now, um, one last thing, and that is um, several of you have come up to me and, uh, and have chewed me out uh, a little bit, as it were, um, for not uh, being more forthcoming with regard to Peter and I visiting Canada. 
and you being a part of that opportunity. Um, I don't think anyone is, was disappointed they couldn't come, uh, but several of you have expressed that you wanted to share in the cost and expense of getting up there, and uh, Bellatora um, donated 15 Sidereem for their shelves so that they could start doing the prayers and all of that. So um, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, you know, I'm the lone wolf. So if you desire to participate in that mitzvah, then uh, email checks, drop some money in a cup someplace. Um, thank you. God bless you. Uh, enough said. Okay. Did I miss anything? I think it's probably a good time that we look at the Torah portion. But of course, before we do, I wonder if we could do the most abbreviated of the Birkat Hamazon. What is the shortest Birkat Hamazon that the sages permit? Blessed be the Lord our God for the uh, food nourishment and for the land. Amen. 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 Okay. All righty. Well, I'm excited about this particular portion. Does anybody know the name of this portion? Shoftim seems to be plural. Deuteronomy 16, by the way. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 is where we'll pick up. Shoftim, when a Hebrew word ends with the I am or the O-T, masculine, feminine, it appears to be plural. So what is one judge? It's not Shof. No. Shafat. Shafat. Okay. Mm. That's right. Like Deborah. That's right. <laughs> well, it's important to emphasize that the Hebrew's feminine masculine does not inherently imply a character being feminine and masculine. You're talking about an item or a title or something. Like planes. Like right. Tree. Yeah, or, yeah, or countries. Or, or, or countries, eh? Or guillotines. Okay. And it says he later anyway, so. <laughs> okay, so we, we open up in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 18 with our judges and the officers. We then move through forbidden forms of worship, passing your children through the fire and so forth. The legal decisions that are done by the priests and the judges. And then we talk about the king. And there's a little dispute there about how many copies he needs to make. We'll look at that in just a minute. And the privileges that we have for the priests and the Levites. We talk about the prohibition of child sacrifice, divination, and magic. That includes magic for your kids when they're at some play place, perhaps. And then we're going to uh, try and do most of our focus in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15 where we pick up about this mystery prophet like unto Moses. Get the cities of refuge, the boundaries, and then uh, the laws concerning witnesses, and then the rules of warfare about providing or offering peace. I think it's uh, 
pretty cool when you watch any kind of movie where the hero says, reconsider. You don't, you don't want to fight me, kind of thing. And that's pretty much what the Israelites were told to do because the Lord their God and our God was on their side. And then we've got the, uh, somebody got murdered, but we don't know where they were, who did it, or whatnot. And that gets a little strange as the uh, red heifer and, and the bird and ringing out, all, all those weird things uh, are. So let us uh, open up first with the uh, blessing before studying the Torah. I know I've got that in here somewhere. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. So, I'm uh, I'm wondering if in this first part, if there's something that you want to bring up in uh, in the stuff about judges and officers. Joseph. Yes. Um, the, the portions name shifting, and we place a lot of emphasis on the judges, and as we see when we get to chapter 18, the significance of the judge. Um, but actually, the portion possibly should not be named shoftim, but rather shoftim uh, shoftim, and that's uh, judges and officers. officers. And because when we see shoftim, uh, we know that a determination of the legality of something is necessary or who's been wronged, but without the enforcement of that legality, there's anarchy. That's what we see in America and in the world today. We have True. many judges, few willing to uh, uphold the law, or we have many wanting to uphold their own law and few judges. We don't have the balance of the two. Exactly right. And yet, in the Messianic age, and this is why Shoftim is named Shoftim, is not because it doesn't require both, but because chapter 18 will teach us that in the Messianic age, we will only need Shoftim. Exactly right. Because there will not be a need for those officers to enforce that rule. Good. Excellent. Thank you. Where are they? The Shoftim and the Shoftim, uh, they're placed in the gates. Right? That's right. So what happens in the gates? We do business. And things, come, in, things come out. Right? Yeah. So their job is to to judge what comes in and to police what goes what goes out. Right. Just like spiritually, on your own gates, you're mm -hmm. supposed to put Shoftim and Shoftim as well. Truth, a good inclination and a bad inclination. Yeah. Could I ask a question? Long I've had the not clear understanding of gate. Can someone expound on gate? Understanding door. Say to, to your property or 
Yeah, the, the gate in scripture is normally the gate to a city, not to a, um, an individual's place. So, except in that one case where we've got the mezuzah uh, and what we see in the, in the Shema. In the mezuzah. Um, so there are a lot of but ancient times cities are usually walls. Exactly. So, you know, you'd have to go through the gates of the city because of the walls in order to pass through and do judgment, have any kind of legal work done, and to then come under the protection of the environs of that city. So if you had guests in there, just as you have guests in your home, we see Lot is, is willing to protect his guests, his two guests, because they came under his roof. So he has a legal obligation in that, in that day, and, and I believe even now. The mezuzah, you can actually see the gate mezuzah today if you go to Israel. Um, the old city the, the, is walled still, and there is a very large gate, very prominent one, called the Joppa Gate. And if you go through the walkway for people, there's an enormous mezuzah right there that you can touch on the way in. So that's a literal interpretation yeah, of exactly, exactly what right. that's saying. Exactly right. Ben-Gurion Airport has one. Mm. Then is there... Uh, <laughs> okay, we have doors going into our home, and I guess that's what I want more application. Is there a gate? I mean, for our own I think traditionally, that's a community issue. Traditionally, I think Judaism tends to put mezuzot on doorways. Oh, so no, it says to on, on your on your, 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 your doorposts door and on your gates. gates. Right, but I mean, like as far as a gate goes, that's like if you have like a um, a little picket fence, um, and there's a cut through, that's not necessarily a gate. A door might be a gate in your picket fence, but um, I know that like. I haven't really seen a lot of picket fences in Israel, so I don't know exactly what it looks like. Well, in, a, in, a community, in a community, you normally would not put up a fence within the community. Because why would you want to keep the community out? Mm. You use fences like that for animals, not for people. Yeah. Because the community is protected by its gate. Yeah. And, and you come into the community. And most communities are um, lined with an roof, which is actually not a wall at all. It's just a line that delineates like the, uh, a wire delineates the, this, the area that's considered the community. Yeah. So there's no need for a gate there. But on doorposts, like if you go to a Jewish home in Israel, Orthodox Jewish home, every doorpost except the bathroom will have a mezuzah okay. on it. Thank you. Uh, I have an answer on the Shaphat. It's a tent, not a top. So I think it's still massive. Gotcha. We're oh. still saying it the same way, right? Yeah. It is a tent. Unless you're Yemenite. Shafats. No, 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 because it's, it's not a tongue. So it's a tongue. No. So there you have it. Shafat. Yeah. It's Shafat. Singular. Okay. That's good. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14 begins, When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you. Let me read that again. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. Now, you may be sitting under some teaching in the past, perhaps in the visible expression of the church today, that teaches that 
Israel sinned asking for a king. That is not possible. We have it right here. There will come a time when you will ask to have a king over you. Why was Samuel disappointed that the people had asked for a king? Two reasons. Number one, they wanted to be like the other nations, which the Lord describes here. That's not great. But they wanted to be like everybody else. And don't we? Don't we want to fit in? Don't we want to tuck our seat or pull the kippa off? Because we don't want to get the weird looks. Even if you look as cool as Noah does with that brown kippa and that pool right here. <laughs> you just want to fit in. They wanted to fit in. So he's a little disappointed that they don't want to be set apart and known for being different. That's a problem with us as well. The second reason why Samuel was a little discontent with their decision. Chose the king by sight? Mm, I wouldn't say so. Because God had to choose the guy, and Samuel was sent there to choose the guy of God's choosing. He's older than you. Timing? It's a timing marker. Samuel is simply disappointed that it happened on his watch. He knew, because he knew the Torah. It was going to happen at some point. He just didn't think it would happen on his watch. And he was disappointed. And God helps him through that. Sam, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And at that point, I think it's, a, it's helpful to note that if you read that passage about wanting a king, the issue, not only do they want to be like the nations around them, but their main anxiety is protection. They want a leader who will help kind of coalesce the people around him mm -hmm. to protect them against all these enemies around them. And I think that's one reason why God says they rejected me, is because the king was never supposed to replace God. Right. The king was not supposed to be the one who does things that God does. The king was a representative of God to bring order and structure to the country. So the king was only supposed to be sort of like Moses was as a leader to guide the people. But the protection, he says over and over, even in this one, you don't need to sweat it. Don't, don't be afraid. We're going to see it later, right? When you go to war. Don't be afraid. Because the Lord your God is going to fight for you. You don't have to sweat it. But even if you're, you know, you're feeling a little puny, go home. Don't, don't make everybody else feel puny. But yeah, God was their protector. Back here, then here. Yes. Well, and I think there's, there's something a little deeper going on with that whole thing with Samuel because... God says, yeah, okay, fine. Um, I will give them a king. Right? And Samuel makes the point, look, he's, he's arguing with them and saying, look, God is your king. And, but then because God had already, already knew this was going to happen, you know, God says, fine, look, I'm going to give them a, you know, I'm going to give them a king, and ultimately you're both right. Because they will have a king, like the other nations, but it, the king will be me. Amen. And that is a picture of Messiah Yeshua. There it is. You bet. So, uh, 
So they will have a king, and God will be him. Now, if you put yourself into Samuel's position, this is an amazingly godly man. Is it possible that Sam's reading the Torah and assuming that'll happen in the Messianic age? Messiah will come, he will be God himself, and he will sit upon the throne as king of his people. I think so. Because, yeah, that's it happens. That's a pretty developed theology. Yeah, that's... I don't know, because it says he can't be a Gentile, so the implication to me says that... God's I think later on in the next chapter, we're going to find out very clearly that we're going to have another prophet just like well, Moses. No, I got that. Countrymen. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think this was also providing guidelines for picking kings. No, no Sorry. question. But I'm just saying I, I have a particular affinity to Sam. Here's a guy who hews men. <laughs> Hack. Yes, sir. I, I was going to kind of go where John was saying. I think it was more around criteria for picking kings because the next couple verses, yes. like, you know, only you should not acquire excessive, uh, excessive amounts of horses or wives or gold, just the same uh, pitfall that Solomon fell into. Sure, sure. And, and how many of you know the uh, Midrash about uh, Solomon and the Yod? Anyway, yeah. Can you, two seconds, give me a high level for that? Oh, well, the Yod was uh, complaining about uh, having been erased from the Torah. What happened? Uh, Solomon decided to, as he was co- making his copies of the Torah, uh, came to the part about not multiplying wives. Right. And decided to uh, edit, make a small little edit there, and eliminate the Yod, which changed completely the meaning of that uh, particular sentence. It kind of made it okay for him to have a lot of wives. That's right. And uh, the Yod went up to uh, Hashemayim and uh, complained to uh, Elohim about the fact of having been erased from uh, the Torah. Yeah. And, uh, cool. And we see the end result. Yes, ma'am. What's actually interesting is that we all know that Solomon, when we say Solomon's sin was the wedding wives that caused him to turn from Hashem, but it's interesting because even before he did that, he went down to Egypt to multiply horses. Right. So that's what the Torah says first. First he shall not multiply horses, and then he shall not multiply wives, and Solomon's the first. First. Yeah. And that led to this new problem. I think even if you look at the Queen of Sheba, who came to see Solomon's stuff, she came because of all of the wealth, mm-hmm. which is the third thing. Yep. So, you know, he, he's got the triple whammy on him there. And, sure yeah, I think it's, it's a classic example, that sages get into this, about the danger of using wisdom against the Torah. It's a problem, I think it's something we struggle with too. When Solomon is reading this, he's looking at it going, you shall not do this lest this happen. And he thinks to himself, I'm a really good guy. That's not going to happen. Thing. It's not going to happen. I can do this because that won't happen. And you know, I think that we do that a lot too with, with, with the commandments of scripture. We play games with them. It's like, well, we look for loopholes. It's like, well, that that is wrong every time, but this time I'm going to fit in that one. It's going to be good. And he found what he thought was a loophole to avoid this, but God, it wasn't an option. It wasn't like God was like, well, if you don't do that, it's cool. It's like, no, don't do that because yeah. it will do this. And, and he came back and bit him on the royal fame, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, sir. Perhaps there's explanation on this elsewhere. Solomon was dinged for not only the horses, but having multiple wives. What of David, though? He had multiple wives, so on and so forth. Was it the attitude of the heart? You want my answer? David's in a a completely different boat because David such a weak 
Thank you, Pete. I don't know. I, I think no, I think David gets by on a lot of things. Yeah. Because he's a man after God's own heart, and he's a picture of Messiah. Right. To me, that covers over a multitude of sins, which is also scriptural. And the sons are priests. So. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I think there is a verb here. It's important, and this is not to advocate polygamy, but it does. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no, that's right. It's not. It's not about the, the more numbers. than one. It's, how many? Yeah, so he's got multiply wives. So the sages actually say he's allowed to have up to 18, technically. So David's well underneath that limit. Um, and Solomon has like a thousand. So he was way past that limit. And that was the issue. And, and so it's not saying that it was okay to have 18, but saying that the 18, up to 18, we're not going to have this horrific effect, apparently, that having 19 would have. <laughs> but hey, no, you know, I can imagine. You only got so many hours a day. Greg, I'm looking at one wife, and I'm satisfied. Amen? Absolutely. Me too. The king's supposed to make a copy of the Torah. Well, what? I beg your pardon, man. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, but several times came back to me. David had a repentant heart. He had a heart after that God's heart. What, what I found was the difference between David and the others. Wait a minute. Look at, look at the last verse in Ecclesiastes. I mean, <coughs> it wasn't like he forsook God and eventually. Eventually he Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, finished up and kind of summed it all up and said, what are we supposed to do? Fear God, Fear God and keep his commandments. But I think you're right. David, from the very beginning, had a different heart in him. And he's known that way. And he's chided for it by his brothers. But I, I think the danger is we don't ever become like Solomon and justify actions because, well, I have a repented heart too, so I can get away with this because sure. it's not that bad. That's what I, I think. That that's why I'm, I'm defending David on halakhic grounds. Yeah. It's because I don't think that David necessarily broke this commandment with the number of wives he had. Maybe he broke other ones, but not this yeah. one. I, I think the bottom line comes down to if I'm looking for reasons not to keep the Torah or excuses for not having to be obedient, there's already something wrong. Amen. And that's where we need to step up when we're debating, arguing, gently of course with those in our faith who say well you're not saying that I have to do such and such are you? No I'm not saying anything actually I'm just trying to be obedient to quote my friend pain in the neck it just gets under your skin and you're like well I, I don't have to do that I didn't say you had to do that I'm just trying to be obedient but the, really the question is why aren't you? Why, why do you not want to be obedient? I, I, don't, I don't understand. Do you not think God's going to bless? I don't understand. All right, we move on. Do we do? Yes, sir. Yeah. Isn't, isn't the point of that section excess, the problem with excess? Because, let I me mean, just to clarify, of course a king is going to have a horse or two, probably. <laughs> and, and as far as the, the wealth goes, that's kind of the point of a king, that he has more wealth than the other people. That's the point and of the king. So I think the same thing with wives, maybe more than one, but the point, I thought, yeah. just seemed to be take, just running with that, just having 
So, so you want to you want to just grab this whole thing and wrap it up in the everything in moderation category. Okay. See, okay. Which Solomon did because his first request was wisdom. Yeah. And God said, "All right, well then I'll bless you with everything else that you didn't ask for." Right. right. So because you because you had the right question this. on the front end. Right. Which is always good to have. Yeah. Okay. I was. I'm, I'm trying to take the questions in moderation, so try and work through this. With <laughs> Don't multiply questions. <laughs> yeah, don't multiply I was wondering about about the like what would be too much wealth. Yeah. And it, it said for yourself, because wouldn't you want to grow a business that produced wealth so you could hire more people? But maybe or if you're the king, the grow a country yeah. so that it has wealth. But just not you yourself. There are many who go into politics in order to line the pockets. No. It happens. It does happen. Trust me. I'm moving on only so that we can move on. There's no more quick point here. Sorry, we're moving on. It says here 1718 when he sits on the throat of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. Approved by the Levitical priests. Which harkens back, of course, to Mr. Martin's story from the sages, where he makes sure the priests aren't watching as he's uh, penning a line or two and drops a yod on the floor. As it were. As it were. As it were. So I, I was just wondering, I, I, I can't remember which man was called up to read this particular aliyah, but... I thought that his version said that the king had to make two copies. <clears throat> By the way, what is the original name the sages had for the book of Deuteronomy? It was called the Mishnah Torah, Mishnah Torah which is the repetition of the law. That is verbatim what is in this verse in Hebrew. It is Mishnah Torah. It's a repetition of the Torah. I'm seeing one copy. How many of you have an English version that says we need two copies? Wow. Hope neither one of you gets called up to be king. Of course, that could never happen, could it? Well, they, they clarify that if this father had written his copies, the, the son only had to write one because he still had his dad's line. Still his dad's copy, right. And we know his dad is not using it because why would he be king? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, let's not let it die of loneliness. Not particularly deep, but what uh, you said, what, what you said about let's hope you're not called to be king, like, be actually, like, I know, we, like, all growing up, like, why do I have to learn to write properly, like, write grammar and all that? Right. Well, guys, <laughs> or, like, or even correct grammar. Right, exactly. Yes. But, like, you have the Torah, you're, like, king, and you have all these duties, and, like, you can't take time to, you know, mess up writing. That person has to actually be able to write well. So you should prepare for the future which exactly. God has prepared for you. I like it. I like uh, it. That works. Did anybody check if like, the word two is in Hebrew? Because I didn't really see it. No. Mishnah Torah. It's repetition of the Torah. That's all it is. No, I mean, in this verse. Like the, 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 the word for two. The word for two is not there. It's just Mishnah Torah. Oh, repetition of the Torah. Yes. Okay. Okay. What I thought was cool about that, though, is that his writing of this and his reading of it daily is um, supposed to help him so that his heart does not become haughty and he does not turn from the commandments. And it's really, I, was, I think it's 
really kind of cool we were talking about this week about how like the king is the head he's the top of the crop and so but reading the scripture reading the, reading the Torah will remind him that he is not number one numero uno and that God is over him to help remind him he is really part of the people even yeah. though he's been appointed their leader yeah that's and exactly right did you, did you catch that top of the crop numero uno I like that so when the um, when the, the sages comment saying that it, well if the king is not supposed to be haughty and, and that's the king yeah how much more so should we not be like arrogant boastful sure. showing off yeah the, the, the king was to be the consummate Israelite he should have his act together and be studying the Torah and it would be his guide and it's so important that he do that, that he writes his own copy to have with him at all times to reference and so forth. And so if, you're, if, you, you, know, if you deal with issues of pride, um, I say you in the plural, general sense, um, looks like the best option is to be studying the Torah. There it is. And is that ever a bad thing? The, uh, the visual that came to my mind, kind of joking about this last night, is you think about like the president he goes everywhere, and he's got somebody with him carrying the football, right? That would be the nuclear football, right? Uh-oh. To but those of you in this in case, the king has someone traveling scroll all the there. time, you know, schlepping his scroll, the real so hide. that when he needs to consult, the scroll is always there. Right? So just it was kind of an interesting way to visualize it. If you look in your Bibles, please, if you have it, perhaps you can get it from memory. I know Father Taylor can. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. It's the last verse in chapter 5. It's the last verse. In the Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48 says, Be perfect. Be perfect. You are to be perfect. Why? As your, as your heavenly Father is. As we move down into Deuteronomy 18 and verse 9, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Now, There was a time some years ago where I had little pamphlets on just about every pagan religion you could think of. Because when they came to knock on the door, I wanted to be able to articulate what was wrong with their faith. My current view is that uh, that is a royal waste of time. And I just need to be familiar with my faith and share with them. She's stretching. Okay, so we're good then. Um, I just need to share with them what's right about my faith, not what's wrong about their faith. How do you, how do you take that position with regard to lear- not learning to follow? That doesn't say not learning, but not learning to follow the abominable practices of the nations that were in the land of Canaan. How, how, do you, how do you say that? Could you rephrase the question? I will. Yes. 
I, I learned all about the Jehovah's Witnesses so that when they came to the door, I could wrap them up in a neat little bow and stuff them in the mailbox. <laughs> and I would actually sit out there on the driveway and talk with them. But now I th I'm looking back and thinking that was probably a waste of time. And I should be able to wrap them up just as easily by knowing my faith wholly and completely, rather than knowing the holes in their faith, knowing the blessings in my faith. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm going to give a great example of this happened to me this week. Okay. A friend of mine, I was studying for a final with a friend who turns out to be a Mormon, had no clue. So he's still a friend? Friendly. An acquaintance now. Editorialize. Let's just finish sure. the story. Yeah, yeah. So, Sorry. Uh, so a four-hour final session really turns into like a three hours of let's just talk about Mormonism, I guess. Sure. And to which I know nothing. I Mormons, John, what's his name? That's all I know. Yeah. Um, so and it was amazing that halfway into it, he tells me that well, of course our guy can make up his own religion because he has the authority that was given to him by an angel, uh, who said that well, I mean the Aaronic. Um, covenant that's given to, to the descendants of Aaron I'm bestowing upon this person. So he's got the authority. And it's just really funny that I'm, I, I'm not knowing anything. The, 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 the first comment I said, well, that's, ding, 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 exactly. ding. that's just contrary to God's character. He can change a physical lineage that he has chosen uh, specifically by name for Aaron and, and his sons, of whom this guy and I asked him, was he a Jew? No. Was he a son of Aaron? No. And God's con contradicting himself. And he goes, oh, only a Jew would appreciate a heritage. <laughs> That's exactly where I'm going from. It's perfect. An excellent example. When I don't even know anything about Mormonism, Joseph Smith, by the way, um, gold plates, Utah. Um, first book in Sherlock Holmes. A diet and a shoe. Yes. Yeah. First book in Sherlock Holmes. All about I have read that. Mormons. The Book of Tobit. Right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I, I think that you really don't need to spend a lot of time studying about these other faiths. I don't know if the military knows the Torah. What, what you, well, the rest of us know. I'm sorry, you didn't. <laughs> they do this. They do this very thing. I went to jump master school, and exactly the same thing. You never learn what a bad rig looks like when you're inspecting Only a, jump, a jumper, because you're authorizing that this person is going to be safe when they exit the aircraft. Yes. You only look at the, the perfect. And then the final test, though, is... They might have 10 jumpers, and some of them have life-threatening errors in their rig. And the test is you have to find them, having never known what the errors are. And that's the test. There it is. Well, we do the same thing. A teller, to become a teller, you yeah. only handle real money. Yeah, then you identify counterfeit by being very familiar with yeah. Same thing with our treasury agents who are trained to find counterfeit money. For a profession, they train by never handling counterfeit money. They're so familiar with the truth. Shouldn't we be? Okay. And of course, the pièce de résistance of Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Yeah. I have uh, something. I don't know exactly who this commentary is from, but. What it was saying was that you shall not learn to do 
but it was saying that you may learn their practice to understand them and teach them and teach and to understand how degenerate their actions are and to teach your children do not do such and such because this is a heathen custom to see phrase and teach them something. Yeah. So from the time that so that they were kind of putting a little spin on that and saying you shouldn't learn them to do them, but you can learn them to understand them, which right. is kind of what we're just yeah. saying that we shouldn't do. Yeah, I don't see the reason to. I mean, I don't know that it can hurt, but unlike you, I'm getting old. I'm running out of time, and I really want to know this Torah as well as I ought to, having walked with him for so many years. So I'm disappointed at my progress. So I just need to focus. Forget the backstroke. Forget the butterfly. I'm doing the crawl. And that's all. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Your, your mileage may vary. Well, I was just going to ask about Paul, you know, and the whole uh, unknown God thing. We're talking about Morris Hill. Yeah, Morris Hill. MH. Ah. So you're now equating philosophy with false religion? Well, it was a false religion that he brought up. He was talking about idolatry. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily say philosophy yeah. in that case. He's talking about going through and seeing all those idols. On his way in. Right. So I'm missing your point. Well, like, he shouldn't have been on the way in? Well, it's like, you know, like learning that stuff. On his way in. But he quotes some poets. He quotes. He quotes. He's, he's, a, he's obviously right. a, an avid reader. So now, don't get me wrong, son. I'm not saying you can't study Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. Name your your sin. No, but it sounded like. <laughs> well, you disagree. Do you disagree? Not study it, but you can familiarize yourself. Okay, with it. and I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying. Time is short. Absolutely. Time is short. Why would you study? It? I'm paddling this. Well. He wants to be able to bring an argument against these Epicureans. Well, then. How many Epicureans have you seen the past week? See? <laughs> Actually, we see lots of Epicureans. <laughs> As it turns out, they're very prominent. They are indeed. But sometimes knowing the background of something, to go back to Gideon's point, is not necessarily to have arguments, but to know that, oh, this is bad. Like, for example, if you ever celebrated Easter, you may not have realized this is really pagan. And all of a sudden, you know, someone directs you to the Google search, and you're like, oh my, that's, that's bad. Things like that. So it's not so much that you're studying it in depth, or maybe you are, but I mean, it's not even so much an issue, in, you know, like what Gideon's point was, was not saying I'm arguing it, and not studying it in depth to argue it, merely that if I have a question about something, it's like, this seems odd. Is this an okay practice? Yeah. To, to look at the background of it and go, ooh, 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 gotcha. that's bad. Like, I'm with you, which is exactly what I said. I have no problem with you wanting to study it. For me, I'm not going to waste my time anymore. But I can say, if you need to find out about your faith from Google, something's wrong. Well, part of the problem is we're, we're actually looking at this from the eyes, our eyes, which are in a mixed society, largely secular, largely not religious, not largely disrespectful of God. And that's not that, who this was being given to. Exactly. It was given to a community that God was putting a fence around to protect us as precious treasure. Exactly. And keep and, them and, pure. And, and exactly. So, you know, if you see other Israelites doing stuff, you know, you know, tell them to knock it off. But whatever you do, don't learn this from the other folk that right. aren't a part. They're not exactly. your neighbors. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, the Talmud says that one of the qualifications to be in the Sanhedrin was that you had to know by sight to identify different ritualistic practices. 
that way you can see, uh, you can keep your uh, fellow Israelite accountable. But if, if you see them wearing a certain color or participating in some sort of superstitious activity yeah. or they got the, you know, yeah. the, the chicken, the shrunken chicken head outside the window, you can, you can say, ah, I know, that's, that's not kosher. So, so in order to be a leader, you have to be able to identify. Exactly. Mac, that, that shrunken chicken head's got to go. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but in addition to that, I just say in a, in a society that is mixed, where, where most people, not even most, where we are just like sore thumbs, Odd man out. It is. It is. It is. It is really imperative that we be not respectful of other people's views as if they're valid, but be respectful of other people in exactly. the sense that we really do care about people. And so, even though I may not accept your your view or your view of life or your religion or whatever else, I do care about you. Yes. And as a result of that, I'm interested in not closing my ears and that's one of the reasons why having a knowledge if, I'm, if my neighbor's a Mormon knowing what Mormons believe is not a bad thing because it helps me communicate with them in a way that's compassionate precisely precisely. and a lot of times our politically correct world will not allow us to do that because we don't want to offend them in any way even in the smallest way for example by saying you know uh, I appreciate your family so much living next door but I just need to make sure we're clear. I strongly disagree with everything you do in your practice. And I don't want my children ever to learn what you're doing. That's not politically correct. I mean, you know. And if you're in some type of homeschool group where what's the common thread? We all homeschool. Okay. Well, you could even be a homeschool Christian group. We all homeschool. We all claim to be Christians. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian, of course, is a Christian. But I digress. Mac, you had a question, and I well, was flippant to it. I apologize. I thought to Jonathan, maybe just to everything, isn't the point that if we study the original so much and have and know it instinctively or whatever? That we would always know something else. This, this is it's, not right. It's, this and is I can show you here. There it is. You know. Yeah. This is different. And let me yeah, show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of I, I, thing. I, I'm with it's it. Just like a simple, very yeah. simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But do you keep an eye out the small things. You know, you work, you spill the salt, don't throw a pinch over your shoulder. That's not what we do. That's right. That's not what we do. 13th floor, 13th, Friday the 13th, who cares? Who cares? It's not the 13th anyway. Wrong month. (laughs) Flip it to the Hebrew month. Just even further to your point about this, Tim Haig mentioned, I was listening to something Tim Haig mentioned recently about the olive tree analogy from Romans 11. Mm -hmm. And he was... He was describing the the root of that tree being like the covenant promises of God and how that's really what we're being cut off from, which made a lot of sense. And I thought about that in relation to the the way that you test a prophet, which is, will it come to pass? And it takes the trust and the faith in God's covenant promises, which is the root of our faith, to actually determine whether a prophet is false or not. Because it's like, well, did it come true? Because everything I say comes true. And if you trust that, then you'll know how to identify a prophet, a false prophet. Do you think there's prophets now? 
Let me take this prophet's name. Biblical, God-fearing, believing prophets. Biblical type prophets. Maybe. Maybe. How many maybe? They look like a little half half hands. Okay. Well, it depends on God's definition. People who prophesy or prophets? Prophets. Can you hear Mac? I can't hear a word he's saying. Can you? That's what I'm hearing too. I'm sorry, what was that, sir? With respect to prophets and judging a prophet. Yes. It's not only just did what they say come to pass, although that is certainly one of the criteria. Yes. Um, and it's not only is there, you know, do they produce signs and wonders. Right. Right. Because, um, you know, Orthodox Judaism, traditional Judaism can point to a lot of people, including Yeshua, who certainly had many, many, performed many signs and wonders. Yeah. Ultimately, the final test is what they are teaching, preaching, advocating, and prophesying, does it line up with the word of God? Deuteronomy Not chapter they 13. prophesied something that came to pass, but did what they prophesied match up Match up with the rest of the council? It's Deuteronomy 13. We've a couple of portions ago. And I think this particular passage is really kind of cool because God contrasts his prophet, which is a man from among you, from among your brethren, versus all of the magic you saw in the chapter before, or the passage before. And it's a very interesting contrast because we would think we want to know the will of God. So the most logical thing in our minds would be to tap into the supernatural, try and find a way to access angelic powers or the dead people or something because in our minds we're thinking the best way to connect with the supernatural is through the supernatural. But God's model is different. He chooses to bring the supernatural into earth. So he's going to speak through another man to us about what his will is. Because we specifically at the mountain said, this scared me to death, and I don't want this anymore. You talk to him, you tell us what he said. Wait, but it's, I think it's really cool because it shows God's, A, his compassion, and B, it also, I think it emphasizes the importance of our daily lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes you can feel like, well, you know, God just doesn't speak to me. I don't get, like, visions and stuff, and I just feel like my relationship with God is so lame. And it's like, that's not, that's not <laughs> what is going on here. Really, it's like God's been speaking to you for a long time. And he's speaking through you, to you through the daily life. Live your life as though God is speaking to you. Not looking for an event or a to voice. speak to you. Or a voice or a, or a miracle or whatever. Because God chooses most of the time to do normal things. On rare occasions, to get your attention, he'll throw a miracle in there. But most of the time, it's through what we would call normal life, which, if we're really paying attention, is really miraculous. And that's Amen. The humility. It doesn't take humility to see a miracle. Mm-hmm. It takes humility to see that God's working in our life in the, in the mundane. And that every day is a miracle. And as, um, a lot of the commandments are to take something that's not really spectacular, not holy, and to make it holy. Exactly right. That's right. right. Lesson for a rainbow. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's take a, a breather from the Torah and move to the Torah. So if you would uh, turn to Acts chapter three, Acts chapter three. How many of you have the Apostolic Scriptures handy? That's what I thought. Okay. Just a small handful. Just 
The pious few. The pious few. What's the reference? All right, Peter, would you uh, would you read to us in a loud and boisterous, manly voice, Acts chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-three? Acts chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-three. And you'll pause for just a moment, son, while the page flipping comes to a close. Some some folks struggle here because. It's in a part of the Bible they, they are unfamiliar with. So infrequently. Yeah, really, it's true, you know. And, and shame on you, you know. Shame. Go ahead, son. Nineteen. Begin in nineteen. Acts chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-three. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah appointed for you. Yeshua, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. All right. When did Moses say that? In our portion, Deuteronomy 18.18, exactly correct. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. He will be, if he does, all that I command him. That would imply that he is completely obedient. And therefore, by definition, he is then without sin. Uh, I don't know. You want to argue that? Yeah, I will. Because I think when it says that he will speak, um, when I tell him everything that I command him, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything he says is what God had told him to say. It means that when when God speaks to him, he says all of that. Agreed. So he may say things, I mean, like, for example, I think that when it says the prophet among him, the ultimate is Messiah Yeshua. That's the quote from Acts. And I believe that is the truth. And the Deuteronomy 18.18. At the same time, I don't necessarily think that the prophets who came after Moses were not also in this group. Yeshua is the ultimate one, like Moses is the, is a, a, the ultimate one. But I think that um, Joshua was a prophet like Moses. Okay, I think I Isaiah was a prophet like Moses. By. I'm not done. I would disagree with that. So would I. And we're going to turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Back to your talk. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Rashi says what Joshua just said. Joshua said all the prophets following after Moses were like Moses. But that's not the case. Moses was absolutely unique, up on a pedestal, and Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verses 9 and 10 It could not be the case that Joshua was that prophet that was like unto Moses, as Rashi said. And, by the way, as a very favorite rabbi of this community said over at the Levine Center, that he was the prophet like unto Moses. Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord new face to face so I think the scripture is clear Joshua and the rest of the prophets did not meet this criteria God would later raise up someone like 
unto Moses. Hang on one sec. I got one more verse. And then you will all chat about it. Turn back to your apostolic scriptures. Let's hit Hebrews chapter 3, please. Hebrews chapter 3. Folks, if you don't lift up Moses as being absolutely singular, number one, top shelf, absolutely unique, then your view of Messiah Yeshua is too small because Messiah Yeshua is compared with Moses throughout the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Yeshua, the apostle and high priest of our confession, he was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So, let's go back to the scriptures in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let, not, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they're right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, which means, by the way, Joseph Smith is disqualified because he's not a Jew. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Folks, your master's on that page. There is no question. He is the one who is like unto Moses. If you diss Moses or think that the Torah is not that cool, not that important, or whatever the case might be, you are dissing the Messiah. The humblest man who lived on the planet was Moses, and yet Yeshua was a man like Moses. He was a Jewish man raised up just like Moses. Like Moses, who spoke to God face to face, unlike any other prophet, and got his sister stricken with leprosy because he got dissed. We cannot diss our master. He is unique in every way and just like Moses. My question is more one of a, a semantics. It says, chapter 34, um, verse, when it says about, you know, there's not a reason that a prophet like Moses sets. Mm -hmm. Did Moses write Deuteronomy? Yeah, but not chapter 34. So I guess my question would be, if he did write that part, you know, was that more a prophecy of, hey, there's not going to be another like me, or did somebody else write that part? Joshua, wrote Joshua, you know, the next guy normally wrote the last verse or two of the of a particular book, and then wrote his own book, and then it was closed out by the next man. Okay, so, and in, in many cases, especially in the prophets, you can actually see a a, a common phrase or two yeah, in the Hebrew. Colby, would would it be any not to say coincidence, but any similarities with? Yahoshua's name coming after Moses and Yeshua sounding like Yahoshua. Names have very similar meanings. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So it would be a not coincidence. It's not that word, but that word. There it is. Salvation. Yeah. So, he's unique. Yes. In the 
Hebrew there is Kekol Asher Sha'alta, maybe by the light. So it's like, and by Earth Scroll translation, we translate that as according to all that you asked of, which is more literal in terms of Hebrew there. So I think of that in the sense that that would apply to your point of according to all that you asked of God, and it says namely here, let me not hear the face, the voice of God, lest I die. So I, think of, so I think of that in the sense of Yeshua, in the sense that he came as a mediator, as Hebrews talks about, that we could not see the face of God and live. And so he, that is according to all that you desire of God. That would apply to Yeshua too. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't disagree. And neither did the writer of Hebrews, neither did the writer of Acts. Yeah, I'm just Yeah, so let's let's talk about what did Moses do that we saw Yeshua do? Moses was the He was the first redeemer. And now we have the ultimate redeemer. Next. Miraculous birth. Um, okay, cool. There's a guy who went to the Tzadik class. Yes, you got a miraculous birth for Moses. Drawn out of the water. Drawn out of the water. You got a miraculous birth for Yeshua. Okay, good, good. good. What else? Yeah, I'm sorry? Went to the wilderness. He went into the wilderness. Good. You got a guy in the wilderness? Egyptian vacation. He did what? He went to confirmation? Was there a, was there a Methodist? What? He came out from Egypt. He came out from Egypt. Out of, out of Egypt did I call myself. Good. And, of course... This passage, Yeshua practically quotes when he says that everything God has said to me, I say. Right. Over and over again, he, he makes that statement, I only speak what the Father has told me to speak. I and the Father are one. I yeah. and him. He is I mean, it's, it's almost like he's saying, so, guys, Deuteronomy 18. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, if, if you've read both sides, I mean, it's so obvious. He's trying to get them to see it. And... It's a trick question. It's a shame. Only a few Jews actually got it. Right? No. That's completely wrong. Thousands got it. It was actually amazing that a few didn't. They happened to be the religious leaders, but they didn't. And it was deliberate. uh, Good. Before we... My family started, you know, observing the Torah. I was always amazed reading the New Testament how quickly they just jumped on the bandwagon. Because I was like, first thing myself, I would require more convincing. <laughs> but you know, having come through the like, oh, now you know the Torah. All these guys already had that, so of course they're convinced. Well, it's back to Gloria's point before. They already know the Torah. They know the truth. This guy walks up and they're like, I think, Andy, I think we met the Messiah. What do you think? Could it be? I mean, it's, I mean it's hard to believe he's from Nazareth. Oh. Moses' face was veiled. Yeshua's face was veiled. Good, good. Excellent. I like. And the uh, if you read the book of John, mm-hmm. there are a lot of allusions between Moses and Yeshua. Over um, in and one of the coolest ones that I thought of that I had never really considered before is Yeshua keeps repeating over and over again the idea of believing in me, and and Christians wrestle with what that means. And it's praying a prayer. It's welcoming Jesus into your heart. It's something like that. And if you look at Moses, though, it's a really interesting concept because the belief in me actually shows up there. God says, I'm going to do this, I think it's the Red Sea. And it says that they will believe in me Me and and in in you you forever. And and why do we get the wilderness walk? Because you didn't believe. So if you think about people who who follow and accept what someone says as being true and do what they're told by that person, that would be belief. That's it. Why, why couldn't they go into the land? 
You listen to them, not to me. You didn't believe me. As opposed to, you know, a lot of Jews saying that you know, they need to ask Moses into their heart. <laughs> <laughs> and isn't it hard to wrestle with a Jew who's telling you that? Yeah. I have one here? No, I got it. Yes. Um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verse 3. Um, or let me start with verse 2. Now when Yochanan, while in prison, heard of the works of Messiah, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Yeshua, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Yeshua answered and said to them, Go and report to Yochanan what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And um, the disciple turns around and walks off. Like, okay, got it. Got it. Okay. And what was he doing there? He's, he's making a connection to something that was prophesied by Isaiah, but it goes back actually to Moses and Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, when Moses, Moses having that discussion with Hashem and he's like, well, you know, how are they, you know, how are they going to believe that you, you sent me and all this? And he says, well, take your hand and put it to your bosom. Now pull it out and it's Leprous. That's the Napoleon trick, in case you don't know what bosom you are. Right? Now put it back in, pull it out again, and it's healed. Right? Healing lepers is, a, is something only God can do. He goes on to argue with God. You know, he's like, well, but, you know, I'm slow of speech. I, you know, I'm not really a good public speaker. I get, you know, cotton mouth and, you know, whatever. And God gets upset with him in Exodus chapter 3. He says, look, who gives the, the mouth the ability to speak? Who gives the eye the ability to, to see? Who gives the ear the ability to hear? I do. So healing the, the deaf and the, the dumb and the blind are specific things that, from a Hebraic standpoint, are only things that... God himself can do. Yeshua is saying, I'm, I'm doing this. And that was all the disciple of Yochanan needed to know. Exactly right. So he's equating something that was understood from Moses' interaction with Hashem. Amen. Folks, the bottom line is this. This should be one of your favorite portions. Because it should give feet to your faith. It should be so easy for you to understand if someone tells you when we die, we're going to go to heaven and then we're going to flutter around like angels and we're going to catch butterflies and smile a lot. You know, that sounds really cool. And I wouldn't berate the person for desiring some type of peaceful, heavenly existence with their God. That's not a bad thing. But I think you should remind them that he's not just a nice guy. Our Savior is the King of Israel. Not the King of Heaven. He's the King of Israel. And he will reign on his Father's throne physically in Israel. And I want to be there. 
He's also a prophet. He spoke what God said to speak. He's also a priest. And the fact that he is a high priest in a different order you don't know anything about, your sins are forgiven. Yeshua's sacrifice does not have anything whatsoever, zero, to do with the Aaronic priesthood. Zero. Nothing. It's against the Torah to kill a guy and use his blood for anything. We just went through that whole death thing. Oh, you found this guy. He died. I mean, it's between these two cities. What are we going to do? Get a cow. Kill it. Pour out its blood. Wash hands. What are we talking about? The Aaronic priesthood has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with Yeshua. It's all so that you know if you sin, we got to get some blood. It's as simple as that. It's to teach you God doesn't play with sin. Blood is required. And the soul that sins shall surely die. Completely different tabernacle, completely different priesthood. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear if he was here, he wouldn't be a priest. He's a priest up there, not down here. That whole Aaronic priesthood is because we want to get close to God. But we have come in contact with death. And I think that, that playing off of that is the idea that it's different requirements for different things. It's like, for example, if you're an immigrant wanting to move to this country, and you want to become an American citizen, and they get a driver's license... Then you are in a very, very small minority. Mm-hmm. Don't, especially if you do it in that order. Um, become an American citizen and then get a driver's license. Um, but if you do that, then it's two different tests, about two completely different things, and you need to know both of them. Now, you might think to yourself, you might make the illusion to yourself that the test to become an American citizen, or perhaps the test to take a driver's license, relates to the other. It reminds me the, the importance of study and the difficulty of passing this and actually prepared and all these different things. But it's two different tests about two different things. And that's the Aaronic priesthood, and that's Yeshua's priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood illustrates what Yeshua does. But it's two different things. The Aaronic priesthood is all about this world and how we interact with God in this fallen world. You bet. But Yeshua's priesthood is all about a much deeper and broader interaction that spans eternity, both in this world and in the one to come. And that's a different concept than what we're getting with the offer- offerings that we see here in Deuteronomy. Exactly. Yes? About the Melchizedek priesthood. Yes. Where in the world that comes from? Most people think that it was an invention by whomever wrote Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, and we're, we have trouble figuring out where he got those ideas from. In the writings of Qumran, there are actually some fragments of scrolls talking about there's going to be a new priesthood after Melchizedek. It does, it's not able to expand upon it. They might have expanded upon it, but we just don't have access to that because it's fragmentary. Fragments about the size of a credit card. But it talks about that soon there's going to be a teacher of righteousness no one knows who that is, but then there's going to be this Melchizedek line that's coming, and through him, that's the redemption. And then I want to speculate beyond that point that, hey, maybe the writer of Hebrews understood that. But that is helpful to show that the writer of Hebrews isn't just getting this idea as like a UFO, as if this is some kind of Christian teaching. It's from Qumran itself. It's, it's the, as Jewish as you can get that Melchizedek's coming 
and he's going to set up a priesthood that doesn't supersede Aaron's, but it's different, and it's actually got atonement power in it. Sure. We see the line in Psalms. Yeah. Is it Psalms? Is it like, Moses? No, there you go. There it is. All right. Final comments on this awesome and wonderful passage. I'm not going to say Torah portion. Torah portion. The whole shmir. Okay. I thought it was shmir. As, as, as they're going in the land, the elders say, okay, who's the guy that, that has a venue, hasn't you know, dedicated it, got the house, got the... We're going to war. Right. We're going to war. Right. We're going to war. He says, those guys, go ahead and go home. And then he says, and then and then the elders, uh, tell the, uh, to command the elders that they should continue to say, who's the one whose heart melts with him with fear? He needs to go away too. And I thought it was interesting, the progression if you know, if if you're the if you're the guy who's just scared out of his mind, you almost have um, you can fit in with the crowd of, of everyone who's leaving. So that way, you know, you can turn around and say, "Oh, finally, he said it for scared." Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And everyone would think, "Oh, he's just the guy that's got a vineyard." That's yeah, got a house. you know, he just must have just got married. Yeah, exactly. or he just got, yeah. So, go get the guys like that. Too a little bit of grace there. Right. Cool. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I do think that if you've ever been in the military, you know, especially if you get that 250 foot tower, where you're going to climb out on a rope as big as your arm 250 feet up above 250 feet above a river and then you hang there and there's a yo-yo at the bottom with a bullhorn who says all right airborne spread your legs so i know that you can hear me and he wants you to spread your legs and then put them back together again but most of us are hanging there and we've lost all bodily function (laughs) and we can't do anything other than figure out how to get a better grip on the rope that's slipping from under our fingers. And he just waits. And finally, you do that with your legs. And he says, clear, drop, airborne. And he wants you to let go. And now the one thing that you are most afraid of is what he wants you to do. Just let go. Do you know down at the base of the tower. If you're so scared you're about to wet your pants, they put you at the back of the line. They'll put you in a separate line. Because your fear will infect everyone else. And of course you got the guys from New York, oh, let me at him, let me get to the front, yeah! <laughs> and we all do the same thing. He says, let go, and you're stuck there for 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> I can't let go! <laughs> I can actually remember finally dropping with all of my fingernails being torn with the rope, still trying to hold on. And then about 200 feet down, still 50 feet from the water's edge, this thing came up out of me. Until I was underwater. And they all saw bubbles. And you know, it's like it's like the cartoon when the bubbles came out. They were ah, ah, ah. I've never been so scared. I spent just a couple minutes laying on the bottom of the river, just going, oh God. Fear is a terrible thing. And it's an amazing thing that God would say to his people. You don't need to be afraid. You can't see me. You didn't want to hear me anymore. But the guy you wanted to hear from me said, you don't need to be afraid. 
because I'm going to go before you. I'm here to tell you that Moses guy must have been over the top for me to give up being afraid. Why do you think I can't even gun? In uh, chapter 20, verse 20, it talks about the, when you go to save a city, receive a city, and you only use the trees that you know aren't for food. It kind of reminds me of the verse in Proverbs that says, treat your animals, even a rice man treats his Treat his animals, animals rice. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a kind of theme if you, if you pay attention, you know, ongoing the Bible, which is, you know, be kind to animals, you know, don't destroy things unnecessarily. I just thought that was cool that God thought it worthy of mentioning in the repeat of it. You know, you're exactly right. And I think that further than that, as we've discussed here before, the scripture parallels righteous men with trees. We see that not only in Psalm 1, but the, the sages are over the top playing that game. But uh, today's uh, apostolic scriptures that you let us in was from Matthew chapter 3. And I thought it was... Uh, Interesting that um, when Yochanan saw, I mean, Matthew 3 7, many of the Prushim and Sadokim, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Listen to his answer. Bear fruit like a tree in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham. As our father, for I tell you, hmm, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Hmm. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew says that John was comparing righteous men to trees in the same way. You've got to watch those trees. The sages say that's why when the spies were about to go into the land, he said, spy it out, let us know about all the fruit and everything, and let me know if there's any trees. Well, well, there had to be trees if there's fruit that you want us to bring back and let you know about. The sages say he was asking if Job was still alive. Job being the righteous tree that was in the land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Funky stuff, cool deal, trees, righteous men. Speaking of that, really interesting cow tradition. Cow tradition? Where, you know, the, the, the dead guy Is this in the one field. of those Mormon things? Come no, on. No, no. The, guy, the dead guy in the field. Gotta bring oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. He's equidistant between the cities. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, I, I, I do think it'd be kind of funny if somebody were to actually write out a specific description of what like NCIS does in list format, and there should be a man who should get a white chalk and outline his body. And thinking, what a weird ritual! I don't understand that at all. But God, God ultimately knows more about this stuff than we do. That's why He has to do this. But I think there's some really cool like imagery here. Like for example, it talks about a heifer with no work has been done, and to take it to a field that can never be sown. And I think about like the life that's lost. And in a sense, a heifer's a young cow. Yeah. Um, and it's in a way, it sort of emphasizes the concept that this person, that their potential is lost. Cut off. They could have done so much, and they have lost that. Yeah. And then it's in a field that can never be sown. The idea that that person will never have any more impact in the world. Their their time and their, their work is finished, yeah. whether it was meant to be more or not. Yeah. And I think that that imagery is very powerful because as these elders come out and they do this ritual... They're gonna, that's going to be playing in their minds and emphasizing to them that we want to make sure this doesn't happen again. 
And that's one of the things that the sages talk about. This reason they call the elders out is it says somebody screwed up. Yeah. Somebody wasn't telling their people what not to do, or somebody didn't take care of the poor guy who was out walking by yeah. himself. This this is a training issue, no matter how you look at it. And the elders need to take. And step that's up. one reason um, why, like Abraham, would help walk people out to the road when he they left his house, according to tradition, because he's going to make sure that as long as they are within his authority, that they're going to be safe. Exactly. The same as Lot and the angels that were under his roof. And like sure. you know, as we. We had some fun with that tradition, so Julianne and I, whenever people come over to our apartment, we try to walk them down to the parking lot, to their car, or at least to the parking lot, so they get to their car. So that they, the whole way, on the way, as long as they are within our realm of influence, mm. they are technically under our protection. Yeah. Once well, I they think leave most the of us would actually rather you put in some kind of slide or escalator <laughs> rather than walking this out. Well, in, so about, in about one week, you don't have to worry about the damage. That's right. That's so, exactly um, but the point being is that um, that's such a cool concept that we have responsibility for people until they're on their way. That's right. Um, I remember hearing a story when Noah was in Israel, and he was telling, um, get ready to go to go back home to the U.S. A Jewish guy gave him a little money to pay a charity because he had a mission then from God, essentially. Yeah. And his he'll be protected because would be protected of that. Because oh, he has cool. To cool. I've got to do this use mitzvah. That. Yeah. So I mean, I think about so in that sense, like being careful. <laughs> with the people around us it is part of our responsibility and God's trying to emphasize to the leaders look something bad's happened here don't let this happen again yeah training is bad good yes sir final comment hot Torah Isaiah 52 yeah. <clears throat> wow verse 7 proclaim uh, peace salvation. In the English, how pleasant are the footsteps of the herald upon the mountain, announcing peace, proclaiming peace, heralding good tidings, proclaiming salvation, saying to Zion, your God has reigned. Um, that that obviously a a very you know. Um, well-known verse, but I think it's fitting that at the end of the day we should um, we should be exhibiting this. We should be living this out in the sense that everything we should, everything we do, should be proclaiming peace on the one hand, but also proclaiming Messiah, proclaiming salvation, Yeshua, and. Um, and one way we do that is by um, you, know, you guys, the guys in the buddy class heard me say, "Go into the world, preach the gospel." If you have to speak, because if we are if we are living out the ordinances that we've talked about today to the extent that they're applicable and that we can, yeah. then it's going to cause people to ask, mm-hmm. and then we proclaim, you know. We, we have the ability to Mashmiah Yeshua, Mashmiah Shalom. I mean, true, true salvation is peace with God. So it's, it, that's where it is, it's peace. I thought of, I thought of uh, Greg when, when, uh, when we were reading that passage because I just heard your voice, the herald heralds, and remi- reminding me of the prayers during Sukkot yeah. and the highly messianic poems that are associated with 
with the prayer during Sukkot and the Herald Herald is actually just a Hebrew phrase exactly the same from, from Isaiah 52. Yeah, and it's cool. It just gives you chill bumps as you're reading. It's, it's amazing. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll call it a day and uh, quit there. Um, I do want to just couple um, couple thoughts real quick with regard to our fellowship and meeting and so forth. Um, Sean and his family um, hosted us during our month off up at, uh, at the hotel in Mooresville and it was fabulous. To me it was great um, because we didn't have to do anything. <laughs> that's, that's always a good thing for us. Um, but uh, just so you know, we're getting together and we're working on that. We have a couple of goals. Um, one goal is that Bellatora, the brand, if you will, is consistent. So it doesn't matter whether you're coming here or to the hotel near here or we're going to the hotel up there. It doesn't matter. There's a consistency. So it's like going to Chick-fil-A in Ohio. It's the same as going to Chick-fil-A here. There's a consistency. So we're looking for that. We're trying to make that happen. But there's also a need and desire on several folks to have some dance. So we're going to try and put that in, which means if we put it in up north, we're going to try and put it in down south. So um, to that end, we pulled up the carpet and um, have a room that's very, very hot, where you can you know, dance if you want to sweat. I mean dance in here. Um, so we're going to get together and try and make that a reality. Uh, and my hope is that um, for the folks like uh, the Uphams that drive a long time to get here, it's actually not any longer to get up to Mooresville because they don't have to go up the highway and get on 485, which evidently was filled with all kinds of badness today. So we're, we're trying to work that. And uh, if you've got comments or thoughts, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear those comments or thoughts. We did get a lot of feedback about the, uh, the up north one there. Um, and we're going to try and, and, and make some of those come together. Like, we don't want to sit on opposite sides of the room. We want to sit together, even if it's hot. We want to sit together. The dancing over there with the people over here kind of thing. And little things like that. We, we heard that feedback, and we're going to try and make that work. Okay? So... Uh, there's only one more here for this particular year, 5773, and uh, this tour here. This tour year of 5773. So we're going to have dancing here at 9:30 in two weeks. So you want to come here and dance? You got 30 minutes to dance, and great. And then we're going to have dancing again at 12:30. So if it's a billion degrees out there, we'll have the floor ready for you so you can dance at 1230. At 1 o'clock, we'll start the portion discussion. When it's over, you're going to dance again. So we're going to try and at least get dancing going here so it's easier for us to do it up there and, and do a parallel. Okay? So again, if you've got anything you want to share with that or something, see me afterwards and we'll do that. Any other things, comments? Anything I missed? Justice. Yes, ma'am. Are you talking about these these, yeah. these young people? I got an email. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it was, you know, about the move and lunch and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, uh, anybody who would like to help us. That's a week from tomorrow, right? A week yeah. from tomorrow. We're going to be meeting at our apartment in Matthews. And if you don't have the address, um, talk to me or respond to that email or whatever, and I'll be happy to send it again. Good, good, good. Um, 
and we're going to meet at 10. We're going to schlep the stuff, which will already be packed, don't worry, um, out of the apartment to the truck um, and any other people's big vehicles that might be there. We're going to take it the 10, 15 minutes to our new house, which is an Indian trail. We'll, um, we'll unpack, we'll hang a mezuzah, and we'll have lunch together, which we will be providing, so don't worry about bringing your own. We'll take care of that. Um, so that is the plan. So if you've got a few hours Sunday, we would love to have your assistance. Um, and of course, if you're already busy, we understand. 10 o'clock.